0: Welcome to the broadcast. I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and of course, you are tuned into Corbett Report Radio right here on Republic Broadcasting, here on this 11th of January, 2012 in the United States, and the 12th of January here in Japan, where I'm broadcasting to you as always from my home studios. So, good evening and welcome to you wherever you are in the world right now, and however you're listening to my voice. I certainly hope you're buckled in for tonight's broadcast because. It's going to be a whirlwind of information, and uh, unfortunately, not all of it good news. But we are uh, looking at what's happening and trying to understand the world that we're living in so that we can better deal with it. And on the line to help us do that tonight is Madison Rupert of EndTheLie.com. For those of you who didn't pick up on our broadcast last month where we talked to Madison, uh, EndTheLie.com is a great resource, uh, a wonderful uh, overview of everything that's happening in the world from military news, to Big Brother, to world news, environment news, police state news, all sorts of things, uh, editorials and uh, news roundups as well. So I certainly hope that you will, at least during the course of this broadcast, if not every single night, check out com in order to find out what's happening in the world. And unfortunately, as I say, a lot of very worrying information from all corners, uh, including such stories as, was Israel behind yet another assassination of a nuclear scientist in Iran, and uh, that's a very, very important story that I go over with James Evan Palato on our forthcoming edition of New World next week, which will be coming out very shortly, but uh, Madison's been covering the Iran story in a great deal of detail, and he has a three-part, or three-part so far, series of articles going over the quickly evolving geopolitical imbroglio in Iran of course, many, many other things on the table besides. So, Madison Rupert, it's great to have you on the program again. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us tonight.
1: Thanks for having me back. You're too kind. Thank you.
0: Uh, not too kind at all. I'm just interested in what's going on in the world, and I know you are as well. And as I say, the Iran story is probably first and foremost on the agenda for tonight, but uh, just in the first uh, minute or two that we have here before the first break, perhaps you can go over some of the other things that you're covering right now.
1: Um, well, I, I'm definitely focusing on Iran, and as well I'm focusing on um, the global expansion of NATO beyond, well, the the entire Middle East North African presence is already mission creep, as I'm sure you know, but they are trying to move into the Asia-Pacific region, as Obama just uh, announced. It was clear before that 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 was the case with, uh, months ago, the announcement of troops and uh, – fighter groups to go to Australia, um, ships being given to allies in the region, uh, Joint um, uh, multilateral partnerships is really what it's all about, and it's almost exactly the same as the situation that's going on right now with Iran. That is uh, the strategy of encirclement, it's kind of like the, the Cold War strategy taken in Europe of encirclement and containment of Russia, so it's on a, a much larger scale nowadays, and they're, they're pretty much encircling the same nation. Um, but it, it has to do with uh, uh, anti-missile systems being sent to the United Arab Emirates worth hundreds of millions of dollars, of course, made by U.S. defense contractors, uh, fighters and trainers and uh, uh, spare parts and all of this, and modernization uh, of the fleet of uh, jet fighters for Saudi Arabia, that's getting a huge boost. There's also uh, some stuff going on in Kuwait. So essentially uh, that's the strategy that they're using all over the world, and especially in uh, the the Persian Gulf region, they're trying to essentially wipe out all of... um, What little allies that Iran has, but at the same time... Absolutely. Okay, well, we're heading
0: into our first break. We'll be right back after these messages here with Madison Rupert of EndTheLie.com. Radio friends, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com here tonight with Madison Rupert of EndTheLie.com. Once again, a good overall uh, news and information website with all sorts of different categories of information. So some of the headlines uh, up on the front page right now uh, include U.S. troops defile dead Afghans on camera, Twitter fights Google over bad search technology, Reddit to shut down over SOPA, Ron Paul victory for the cause of liberty, liberty. Newt Gingrich denies the existence of Bohemian Grove and insert my eyeball roll there and uh, create in creating lifelong customers, the school to prison pipeline and the private prison industry. Just uh, some I- overview of the wide range of subjects being covered at endthelie.com. But tonight we're focusing uh, quite, quite a bit on the geopolitical imbroglio as uh, Rupert calls it that's happening in in Iran and in that area right now, as unfortunately the drums of war continue to beat louder and louder, and the latest development, as I'm sure many have heard, is also up there on the front page of Endalai. Was Israel behind yet another assassination of a nuclear scientist in Iran? So, Madison, let's start putting this all into perspective for people and telling people how these dots are connected, and, uh, and let's draw the bigger picture of what's really happening in Iran right now. Well, the,
1: the latest instance, of, uh, what I consider a, a pretty concerted covert operation in Iran being carried out by a conglomeration. When I say Israel, that's an oversimplification. It's actually really, a, the Western intelligence community, including mm-hmm. Israel, the United States, and, uh, Britain's MI6 specifically. And it's probably not the case that actual agents from those agencies are in iran and working uh but instead assets um as we've seen iran has claimed uh many times you know they, they always emphasize that it's allegations and claims because whatever the iranian government says is regarded as completely illegitimate in the establishment media so they've claimed to have uh found various cia rings and they had the most recent instance of uh, an American confessing to being a CIA asset, um, and that, that was actually on film. Um, but they're probably working through the MEK, uh, which is actually listed as a terrorist organization by the State Department, and they've been linked to the U.S. intelligence agencies time and time again. Tony Cardalucci of Land Destroyer, who I'm sure you're familiar with, has done some great work covering these connections. We just put out an article today about this, actually. Um, But what we're seeing is a larger trend of trying to take out uh, specific people in the Iranian uh, military complex, uh, both nuclear and uh, in the missile complex, as we saw a few months ago now already, um, when there was an accidental, in quotes, of course, uh, accidental explosion at a uh, missile base in Iran, and it ended up killing, I believe, off the top of my head, it was 17 Iranians, including uh, their top ballistic missile scientists. So what we're seeing is these isolated incidents, and uh, why I bring up Israel specifically in today's article is because uh, yesterday, uh, the chief of the Israeli military, the uh, Said in a parliamentary committee, closed door parliamentary committee, that uh there were these unnatural events happening that were a major setback for Iran. I mean that's a pretty clear hint that they are uh making these unnatural events happen. And there's there's a lot of hints at that in the Israeli press as well. They they hint at this kind of stuff whenever uh an Israeli scientist, you know Dies in mysterious, suspicious circumstances. But uh, the way the assassination was carried out today, specifically, we see time and time again, and it's always blamed on Mossad. Um, but what is clear is that it, it, it is an assassination. What happens is people, two people, ride up on a motorcycle, put a magnetic bomb on the car, and boom, they're gone. Um, but this is part of a strategy a larger strategy, which I think is actually aimed at trying to goad Iran into doing something first. Um, I think that's what we saw with uh, sailing the USS John C. Dennis aircraft carrier with a big uh, slew of support vessels um, and a a cruiser carrier, I think, I mean a missile carrier. Um, But the John C. Dennis is one of the largest aircraft carriers. And it actually sailed uh, through the Gulf, through the Persian Gulf, and really irked Iran, I mean, rightly so. And that's when they said, you know, if you sail another ship through here, uh, we'll do something. It was a completely ambiguous threat. But what we're seeing is just a, a slow escalation um, and kind of uh, under-the-table dealings with, with countries, like I was mentioning, the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait. Qatar is uh, an obvious one. I mean, they had a huge role in the Libyan operation, admittedly running operations on the ground. So they're really tied in with this intelligence network as well. But what I think all of this is aimed at doing is just getting Iran to do something so then the United States would have free license uh, to, I mean, absolutely brutalize Iran. I mean, they could do literally anything. All they need is a tiny little bit of justification. And, of course, it could be a false flag event, you know, like a Gulf of Tonkin-style incident to get it started. But I think the way that Iran is acting right now, or at least uh, uh, how they're acting publicly, it seems like they might actually react in some way themselves to uh, create a justification contrived or otherwise to for the United States and Israel and uh, the United Kingdom to attack them. And what that is remains to be seen, but I think it will be naval, and that is because there is a huge maneuvers coming up. I mean, huge drills, and the timing of this is absolutely uh, way too way too coincidental to be coincidental, if you will. Um, and that is uh, one of the largest, or actually, I should say, the largest uh, dr- joint drill between the United States and Israel. Uh, it's a missile defense drill, and of course. Uh, I should be saying missile defense in in air quotes because um, these whole missile defense systems can be used offensively. That's why Russia is so uncomfortable with the uh, NATO missile shield, uh, the uh, anti-ballistic missile shield, being put in in Europe and and, uh, Turkey and all these places, off off the coast of Spain and Romania, because they can be used offensively. They call them missile defense, but... You know, that's not necessarily accurate. So anyways, they're doing this massive drill in in the region. It's going to be in the Persian Gulf region. And this is going to coincide with uh, an Iranian uh, Revolutionary Guard Corps drill in the Persian Gulf as well, which they're billing as as a huge uh, exercise as well. And they've been doing exercises left and right, the Iranians. They just had the 10-day-long exercise where they ended with a bang, literally, um, with uh, three successful missile tests, which I'm sure made uh, the United States and Israel very uncomfortable, um, especially because one of them that they tested uh, is actually an anti-ship missile. It's a a shore-to-vessel missile uh, designed to take down ships, uh, seemingly in in the Persian Gulf um, or in the Strait of Hormuz specifically, which is uh, one of the most... Contested regions right now, which Iran has threatened to close several times. They said it would be easy. The United States says we will not let it happen. You know, one of those ambiguous threats that means (laughs) all hell will break loose if if you try and close this state because uh, estimated between 20 and 40 percent of the world's oil supply flows through there on a daily basis. So the United States would not let that happen, but there is a very good possibility there have been reports that they will actually do a mock closing of the Strait of Hormuz as part of the upcoming exercises, which are likely going to coincide with the joint U.S.-Israeli exercises. So I think we could see something spark off there. There is just way too much rumbling right now uh, for those two events to coincide and not have some kind of conflict.
0: Yeah, and once again, it's uh, due to the result of exercises and tensions uh, coming up through through these uh, drills that are going on. But I think you're spot on in every part of that assessment, uh, right from the the simplicity of saying it's just the CIA or Mossad that are behind these bombings. Of course, they're using their proxy forces, the MEK and other groups that uh, we know on record, they've been aiding, funding and abetting, as you say, Land Destroyer Report, doing excellent work exposing that, including specifically the MEK that's being blamed for this latest bombing. And I think you're exactly right that, uh, the Strait of Hormuz is going to be the, uh, the flashpoint and some sort of naval event is likely to be the kickoff to give the, uh, the marauding, expanding NATO empire the, the excuse to, uh, strike back at those demon evil Iranians who, of course, are just, uh, absolutely under siege in every conceivable way right now. Um, and again, for people who don't understand that this, this latest bombing fits into a pattern, perhaps you can tell about some of the other incidents that have happened.
1: Well, yes, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, in my latest article, I go over kind of the, the greater uh, covert war that has been going on, and I have uh, an article that went really in-depth into the, the string of uh, supposedly accidental explosions, but specifically in the case of assassination of nuclear scientists, I believe off the top of my head he it, it, it is the third since early uh, two thousand ten. I'm not sure
0: about this, but I believe that he might have been the fourth uh, attempted. I think there was another attempted assassination that that didn't actually work because the guy jumped out of the way before the bomb went off. But but again, it's a string of uh, assassinations and bombings and all sorts of disruption, really mayhem going on in Iran right now. And uh, there's no doubt that there's some major players behind this. So on that note, let's take another short break. And when we come back, we'll continue talking with Madison Rupert of EndTheLie.com. But if you want to get in on tonight's conversation, 1-800-313-9443. That's 1-800-313-9443. And we'll get you on the air. Welcome back, friends. James Corbett here of CorbettReport.com, going over the latest news and geopolitics with Madison Rupert of EndTheLie.com. And we're focusing on Iran right now and all of the latest developments on that front of what looks more and more likely to be a major confrontation in the very near future, and one that will uh, undoubtedly embroil much of the world if it really does go live the way that it seems to be heading and uh we're going over some of the latest developments including of course that that bomb assassination that just had took place in Iran of an Iranian nuclear scientist also another major event that took place recently that's been getting a lot of press in the western mainstream media for obvious reasons is a new uranium enrichment site uh, announced by the Iranians at a city called uh Fordo or it's a facility called Fordo And this is covered in Rupert's latest uh, uh, article, Iran, a Quickly Evolving Geopolitical Imbroglio, Part 3. So, uh, Madison, perhaps you can go over um, this latest development and what it really means.
1: Yes, well, they announced that they're finally capable of enriching uranium from the 3.5%, which was their previous record, to 20%. And this is being made out to be some huge leap in technology that means they're about to be able to wipe out the Western world, or at least that's the impression that we're supposed to get. But in reality, 20% uh, enriched uranium is not weapons-grade. It's what's called weapons-capable, and that means that it could be used in a very crude, inefficient bomb, but it would be, you know, more like what we, we call a dirty bomb. But it's not nearly the Level of enrichment that, is, that are used in, in nuclear warheads, uh, for the United States or Israel or any Western country with an advanced nuclear arsenal. That's, it, it's way higher. It's in the range of 80 to 85% and up. So this is really not what they're making it out to be. It is really just them making a more efficient and more effective fuel for civilian nuclear technology. And, uh, for research, and they're, they're using it to make isotopes for cancer treatments in the, uh, Tehran, uh, research reactor. And they also announced recently something that is, uh, that the Western media is making a big, uh, to-do about is they, they announced that they created their first, um, a fuel rod from scratch completely domestically. That means mining the natural uranium, refining it, enriching it, and uh, so on, and, you know, into the final stages of production. And that is supposed to be a big deal as well. But what we have to realize is even Leon Panetta, the United States Secretary of Defense, himself admitted that Iran is not, in fact, uh, seeking nuclear weapons. They're not developing nuclear weapons. I mean, he said it himself. I, I'm, I'm so surprised how people can... Listen to that and say, "Okay, yeah, but they but they're still developing uh, nuclear weapons, so we have to worry about it." I'm I'm really confused as to how people can reconcile these two facts, and it was really ridiculous. I I wrote when I wrote about him uh, admitting this, I linked up to a Washington Post article, which is just a most of it is hyping. Two out of three pages is hyping the non-existent Iranian nuclear threat and how it's such a big deal, and, you know, with the enriching to 20% and the domestically produced fuel rod and how we should really be worried. And then on page three, in the third to last paragraph or so, uh, they're just like, oh, by the way, Leon Panetta says that they don't, they're not actually seeking nuclear weapons. They just are seeking a nuclear capability. Now, that could mean anything. I mean, what that really means is they know that they are only seeking at the moment at least uh, a purely peaceful civilian nuclear power source and for cancer treatment I mean that's what they're doing they admit it but they keep pretending somehow beyond all logic and reason they still pretend that they're seeking a nuclear weapon they're on the verge of developing one etc we need to we need to be really worried the international community has to come together and put more sanctions on them, and so forth. And one thing that I think could actually uh, spark a greater level of conflict is coming up at the end of this month, uh, a meeting between the foreign ministers of the European Union member nations, and they're going to be discussing banning Iranian oil uh, trade completely. Um, so I think that could be. They they have said that if any more sanctions on their oil continue, because oil is sixty percent of the Iranian uh, revenue, um, they, they said they would clay, close the Strait of Hormuz. So that remains to be seen if the European Union will do that and if the Iranians will actually follow through with the threat. Which I honestly think they will not do. I think they know that if they if they really uh, you know, poke uh, the United States in the eye, and oil is one of the best ways to do that. I mean, look at Libya and Iraq. You know, the second they, they start messing with the oil, it, it gets serious real fast. Um, if they start doing that, I mean, they they know full well that they will have uh, an absolute hellstorm unleashed on them, and it will not be pretty. And uh, they keep repeating in the mainstream media, and most articles, though, They'll mention, when they're talking about this conflict, they'll mention that the U.S. 5th Fleet out of Bahrain, uh, which the John C. Stennis is part of, um, it is larger and more powerful than the entire Iranian Navy. Navy. And you think that might be an accurate assessment, in fact. Exactly
0: right. Well, when we come back, we'll continue talking about geopolitics and broaden the scope of our conversation to other potential flashpoints around the globe and how the other players on the geopolitical chessboard are going to react if America or NATO goes into Iran. But let's hold it right there. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. We're back on Corbett Report Radio. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Tonight we're talking to Madison Rupert of EndTheLie.com. And we've been talking about Iran and its place on the geopolitical chessboard right now as more and more crazy information continues to emerge from that country and that region generally. And broadening the scope of our discussion a little bit, let's switch tack tax slightly although it's really still in the same realm of conversation but there's a very interesting article that's uh, up on the front page of com right now Russia strikes back against US NATO missile system with their own advanced radar and I think this is another really key part of what's happening in uh, in not only in that region but of course uh, really on the the broader scale of possible one day confrontation between U.S. slash NATO and uh, Russia itself, and the the real shaping up of World War III. So, Madison, you're uh, first of all what the story is about, and then then your take on what this these latest developments mean.
1: Well, that story specifically is about uh, the announcement of the the fourth advanced radar system that Russia has set up uh, to kind of counter the United States and NATO's anti ballistic missile shield. It's being placed all around Europe and just like Iran, they're, they're encircling Russia by putting these systems in every country and building alliances, uh, non-NATO partnerships or what they call, uh, IPAP, um, with uh, several countries bordering and right next to Russia, um, Georgia being one of the most prominent examples in the Ukraine as well. Um, but that, that article specifically has some very interesting quotes from Dmitry Medvedev about, uh, you know, him, him talking about the, the danger that they you feel know, and the kind of existential threat, use the words that, uh, Israel commonly uses with Iran. There, Russia kind of feels that way about the missile threat being presented to them. Um, and the problem is, is that Russia has offered to integrate their advanced uh, radar warning system with Europe and their their, uh, anti-ballistic missile shield, but the problem is that uh, the United States and NATO want nothing to do with them. And I think that's pretty clear that it's not a purely defensive measure. If it was, there is no logical reason why they wouldn't integrate uh, the Russian technology as well for further coverage to get even more advanced warning. It only makes sense and furthermore, they refused to sign a legally binding guarantee that the system wasn't going to target Russia, Russian troops, or Russian interests. So it's pretty clear that, that this is not a purely defensive missile shield to stop some rogue nation, as they call them, from, you know, nuking Europe or the United States. I, as, as the days go by and the talks about this break down consistently, uh, they, it becomes more clear that this is not what they're making it out to be. And I think it's all preparation for a greater global conflict. Um but, but the even larger problem is that, uh, Medvedev said that if this continues at this pace, uh, they will actually back out of the new START agreement. And that would be a huge reset, reset in U.S.-Russian relations. And normally when they say reset, it Usually means a good thing, and then U.S. and Russia getting closer, but this would, uh, drive a massive wedge between, uh, the U.S., NATO, and Russia, and probably, uh, rightly so. I mean, if I was in Russia and they were, uh, setting up a nuclear, I mean, not a nuclear, but a uh, ballistic missile battery, uh, you know, just a few hundred miles away from me that could obliterate my entire town, you know, i I'd, I'd be somewhat concerned. And there's also the aspect of the ineffectiveness of these systems for what they are intended to do. They have a long history of failed tests and missing the target and all this kind of stuff. So it's really, I mean, the, the whole thing is kind of humorous in its absurdity, that they're actually continuing to claim that this is a purely defensive measure that's going to be used to save uh, Europe or the United States from being wiped off the map. Um but it's the exact same strategy that we see in the case of Iran and also, to go in even larger scale, uh, China, in the South China Sea. And this is the larger global encirclement of Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, um, and Syria, which is, I think, on the edge of destruction from within, thanks to West, openly Western-funded groups, uh, you know, creating havoc over there. Um, and there are also some real uh, civil war, sectarian kind of conflicts going on there at the same time. It's just a very ugly situation. So I think that Syria might actually collapse in on itself. It might implode. I think it's a chaotic enough situation where that that might happen um, without some kind of foreign military intervention, but it's, it's hard to tell at this point. It, it seems pretty pretty solid. Um, but we're just seeing this this. Global encirclement, it's like a, you could, you could draw a kind of semicircle on the earth of, and if you follow the semicircle, you could find all of the countries that are allied with the West, and they all have military bases, they all have, uh, U.S. or NATO donated military equipment, um, and all these kinds of things. It's kind of like how the IMF just nations into receivership. Um, they, you know, they give them something and they're like, here, take this loan okay, now we get to dictate your domestic policy. And it's like the United States uh, and NATO, they'll say, okay, we're going to give you all this money. We're, we'll uh, uh, give you, you know, cut-rate contracts from American uh, defense contractors, or we'll just give you surplus military equipment. We'll back you up in any conflict, et cetera. Uh, and then, you know, once they agree to this, they say, okay, now you're on the hook. We get to tell you what your foreign policy is now. And the South China Sea is another flashpoint. Uh, just like the, uh, the, the I'd say, the, the Balkans and the Caucasus, the South Caucasus is another flashpoint uh, with the uh, U.S., NATO, and uh, Russia conflict, um, and the Strait of Hormuz in the case of Iran, and the South China Sea in the case of China. And that is a very complicated situation. I wrote, in, uh I have another series going called The U.S. and NATO are on the march worldwide, and uh, it's hard to write those articles because it takes me so long to research it because there are just so many different events going on in so many different countries. It's really hard to wrap your mind around. I mean, it takes me like 10 pages of notes just to start constructing one of the articles. I'm not exaggerating and
0: I, it, I, it, I don't uh, doubt it at all. It is absolutely such a such a mind-bending enterprise to try to fit all of these pieces together, but it's very in- interesting and instructive when you do so, because I think you find that so many of the pieces do fit together just like a jigsaw puzzle. And drawing Syria I- into the into the mix with uh, Russia and China and the general encirclement, I find it interesting that there's a story up on com right now. Syrian state media reports Russian naval flotilla arrival in Tardis, and, uh, that's, that's something that, that we've been looking at for a while, sort of how will Russia respond if there's some, some sort of intervention in Syria. And, uh, interestingly enough, I just found out yesterday that the, uh, Chinese premier Wen Bao will be visiting Saudi Arabia next week, the first Chinese premier to do so in the last two decades. And he's going to be apparently talking, uh, to the Saudis, the, uh, United Arab Emirates and Qatar about the Arab Spring generally. And specifically about the Syria situation, which should be interesting, because the Chinese Vice Premier apparently just came out and said that uh, that China res- expects all parties to respect the territorial sovereignty of all uh, nations in the region. So China starting to to at least pipe up a little bit more in this. So, uh, so maybe you can talk a little bit about the Syrian situation.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's very interesting. I didn't actually even know that. That's news to me, but. That just adds a, a another layer to it. I mean, uh, what you said—it sounds like it's a, it's a kind of fly way of China saying, you know, we'll we'll step in if you uh, start messing with Syria. Um, and oh wow, there's there's a possum uh, walking right by me. Um, <laughs> kind of unusual, Los <laughs> oh, Angeles. Sorry, <laughs> a little bit noteworthy. Um, but uh, the. the the situation with Syria is very interesting because the uh, Russian naval ship docking um, is just one of and one of them includes an aircraft carrier, actually. Um, it's just one of the latest developments in something that's been going on for a few months now, um, going back to when Russia brought uh, an advanced missile system, anti-aircraft missile system, including radar, the actual missiles, the launchers, the platforms, everything, Uh, to Syria along with the technicians. And so Russia has been kind of uh, arming Syria and without coming out and saying, we will fight back, you know, on Syria's behalf if you intervene. I I don't think they've said it that explicitly, but it's, you know, almost that explicit. They've done everything but come out and say that. Um, And I think we would see something uh, quite ugly spark off that if it involves uh, Russia and China now, it very well might drag in. You know, I'm sure Iran might uh, step in. And I think it's very interesting that you said that China, that the Chinese are meeting with the Saudis um, because China's kind of uh, trying to exert a greater presence in the Middle East. We've seen in Pakistan, especially Pakistan has been moving away from the United States and NATO and increasingly towards China with China giving them uh, 50 fighter jets last year uh, and, and so forth, um, uh, top-level meetings between Pakistan and China, um, I, it would be very interesting to see if uh, the Saudis in any of those countries started leaning towards China more as well, because I think we're all aware that the United States as a nation um, is starting to lose its kind of uh, buying power. Worldwide, You know, the it, countries are starting to realize we're, we're spread a little bit thin, um, so we might not be able to make these guarantees that we used to be able to, although we still have an extremely strong economy, so most of the promises being made now are using, uh, you know, American taxpayers as collateral. But the Chinese actually have a, a surplus. They actually have cash. So they can kind of uh, throw their weight around in the world in a way that we – can't right now, although we still have a military uh, presence, obviously, that, d- that dwarfs China on a global scale. Um, but the situation with Syria is very interesting because it remains to be seen what countries will actually take part in uh, either uh, going into Syria or defending Syria. I think it would be very interesting to see if Turkey... Uh, you know, they've been talking about, there were reports of uh, Turkey and I believe it was Jordan uh, developing plans for a possible buffer zone, which would be like a no-fly zone on the borders of Syria. Um, it would be very interesting to see if Turkey gets into that equation on the side of the U.S. and NATO, because Turkey is kind of getting pulled two ways right now. It's a very interesting situation, like so much of the world, where there there is a major... Uh, dichotomy going on in the country with a kind of uh, uh, Islamist uh, orientation. I don't I don't like that term because it's so ambiguous and you know it's used to to talk about uh, the, the Taliban and you know basically anyone but um, Islamic um, not Islamic fundamentalist, but just Islamic politics, Islamic banking and all this stuff it's not necessarily negative, you know, We've been uh, conditioned into thinking that's a negative thing, but that's not necessarily true. And a more uh, uh, westernized uh, push, uh, w- which includes having a U.S.-NATO advanced radar warning system in Turkey, uh, which Russia is very unhappy about, and so forth. And they, they kind of are having a little bit of a spat with Israel. It seems like it's more of a, a war of words. It has never come to blows or anything even close to it, but they said, uh, you know, I'm sure you remember the incident with, uh, the flotilla and the Israeli commandos killing, um, some Turks on, on a Turkish ship and, and American as well. Um, they said recently last year, they said, you know, we will not let this happen again. Um, but it, it remains to be seen if they would actually do anything, but, if they came to the U.S.'s aid and uh, that that whole kind of coalition that wants to see Assad out of power, it would actually be uh, to Israel's benefit. Um, so it would be very interesting to see if they did that. Honestly, I think Turkey is um, uh, more leaning towards the, the U.S.-NATO-Western coalition, and the rest of it is kind of just a, a PR stunt. Um, there, there are some very interesting uh, kind of the, these dichotomies going on. With Iran, going back to that for a moment, they've actually started dealing with some countries uh, in, in their oil trade outside of the dollar, in their respective countries, in their respective currencies. And interestingly, one of those nations is actually India. And part of that uh, NATO, uh, the, the growth of NATO worldwide series, Um, is that that there's a multilateral alliance growing now between the United States, Japan, uh, Australia, and, uh, of course, India. And this is very interesting because uh, Australia is actually giving uh, nuclear materials, natural uranium, to India openly. And India is not a signatory of the Non-Proliferation Treaty, and this is going on openly and the United States is completely silent about it, of course, because only the, the countries that aren't playing along, they're the ones who cannot have a nuclear programs. But India is, is completely allowed to, apparently, even though they're not a signatory to the Non-Proliferation Treaty. Um, but the interesting thing is that India is actually one of the countries dealing directly with Iran outside of the dollars and apparently, I mean, the United States, at least publicly, hasn't come out and said anything about it. So it seems to me like a lot of these things are, uh, a, a lot of this might actually be theater, and there are some some larger uh, plans going on, which I, you know, I, I can only see it to a certain depth when it comes to these things, you know. I can't see the, the greater plan. It seems like it's moving towards a World War III type scenario, but they're still allowing these, this trade and uh, this kind of stuff to go on between Iran and India, and, uh, you know, there's massive trade between the United States and China, yet it seems they're encircling them. Um, you know, there, there's all these kinds of uh, seemingly contradictory things that, that are really hard to reconcile, but I think the the overall trend is towards encirclement, and I believe they're trying to get India into this whole Western coalition and kind of, on the hook into receivership uh, because they would be not only a strategically placed uh, partner in the region, you know, bordering Pakistan and having such a large landmass, but also a strategic trade partner in a emerging market. Because I think it's pretty clear we can't get. Uh, when I say we, I mean the uh, United States government and you know this whole broad Western coalition. Can't really get China completely into their uh, into the block yet, so it remains to be seen whether that exactly can happen. Right. I
0: think I think you're exactly right. There's still a lot of pieces, kind of ragged edges on the table, but uh, I think the table is being set towards the uh, the war scenario that we've been talking about. And it's interesting to see as the different players get lined up in various ways. But on that note, uh, we'll hold it right there and after the break, we'll finish up by talking about the home front, I suppose, and uh, what's happening in the U.S. Welcome back to Corporate Report Radio. We are here in the closing minutes of tonight's broadcast, and tonight we're talking to Madison Rupert of EndTheLie.com. We've been talking about some Really weighty matters as unfortunately there are a lot of weighty matters on the table right now and, and so many really important things going on on the geopolitical scale. But, uh, reducing our scope and bringing it back home for a lot of people to, to the United States and what's going on domestically right now. And of course, the, uh, the GOP presidential primaries being foremost on a lot of people's minds politically. Uh, Maybe there's a ray of hope to be taken out of this conversation is that uh, Ron Paul is getting a a huge national stage right now to to put forward the only in in this presidential contest, the only uh, anti-war sentiment that's out there right now. So, Madison, your take on on Ron Paul's recent showings on in Iowa and New Hampshire and the possibility that we might have some serious debate about the uh, war and foreign policy of the United States.
1: Yes, well, I think we, the, the fact that he's being even accepted into the dialogue is a, a huge sign. I think people are starting to realize that there are some major fundamental problems in, in the United States and in the world as well. And Ron Paul brings all of those into uh, the debate, which most people don't. Uh, most, I mean, every other contender out there is just business as usual. I think a lot of people are starting to realize we can't continuing, we can't just continue to do what we're doing. It has obviously not brought us anywhere positive with the passing of the NDAA, the discussions over the Stop Online Piracy Act and the Protect IP Act. I mean, there's just encroaching tyranny on a scale and at a speed which most people thought would, you know, be a, a work of Honestly, I mean, it's really hard to even uh, grasp the fact that this is going on in our country. And, thankfully, uh, Ron Paul is talking about it. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm just, I do not think he can win. I don't think that they will let it happen. I mean, I think we all know how easily the Diebold machine and so many of those electronic voting machines can be hacked. And, you know, uh, a few months ago, there was a case where someone actually showed how you could, hack into one of those with an iPhone in less than five minutes and completely change votes. So, you know, if, if Ron Paul is actually going to win, I think they can just make him not win. I think he is way too much of a radical change, uh, to be allowed to happen, especially when it comes to monetary policy and the defense industry. Uh, because, you know, that actually, they lobby with more dollars than uh, the financial industry. Um, and they got all the guns, as they say. So, uh, I, you know, I think Ron Paul is a threat. That's what it comes down to. And everyone realizes that, and they're starting to say, hey, well, why are they threatened by this? Why are his ideas so radical and so extreme when he's just saying, hey, we should follow the Constitution maybe? You know, it's the founding document of the United States maybe we should pay attention to it. You know, I'm just saying. (laughs) So I think a lot of people are starting to realize this, this this needs to be discussed. We can't keep doing what we're doing. And we've seen where it has brought us, and it is not positive, and it is not heading in a positive direction.
0: Well, I fear that you're right about that. It's not uh, it's not who votes that counts. It's who counts the votes, and as long as Diebold and their voting machines are doing it, we know how that's going to turn out every time. But uh, I think the real victory here and the real stage is the the debate itself, and so many people, millions of people, being exposed to the idea of liberty on a national stage can't help but be good for overall for all of us. So there is, I think, good things developing out of this as well. But on that note, let's draw this conversation to a close. Of course, we are here talking to Madison Rupert of EndTheLie.com. So if you appreciate EndTheLie.com and the news there, I hope you will, uh, well, check it out on a daily basis. And, of course, there is a donate button. So if you do appreciate it, please do support it. And on that note, thank you again to all of the people who are supporting and subscribing to and buying the DVDs from CorbettReport.com. This media really is brought to you by yourself, and every dollar that you save by canceling your cable subscription or your newspaper subscription or all of the other corporate media subscriptions you might have is a dollar that you can pump into real alternative.